You're always just a hair behind Stephen, uh, but it's I was okay. like, I was on. Like that one, like it wasn't, I wasn't on, but I like the mood was there. Right? Well, I'm going to tell you what happened. So you weren't on. So I paused for a second mm. and then jumped in and you're like, oh, I'm killing it. And you were because I was on time. Right. And then the next go around when we came back, then you, you missed it. I missed it, it again. You know I, but you add that at the end which actually makes the whole song now so <laughs> well what's funny is i know there's not a lag but i keep my brain keeps on having like lag co- lag brain correction so i i hear what you're saying and Got I'm like, you. I'm so gonna, you're like but that's just my excuse i'd say that in real life too i'd be like oh i've been on zoom for so long i i that's why i'm not dancing right <laughs> i <laughs> No, that's because Guilty Feet ain't got no rhythm. <laughs> Hi, I'm Frankie French. I'm Stephen Campbell. And we are the nonprofits. The nonprofits. Oof. We're doing okay. Um, <laughs> yo, I okay, so let me just let me just say I'm so happy for the accomplishments that you've had, and let's talk about them in a second. But first, let's talk about my accomplishment that will pale <laughs> in comparison after we talk about your uh, what happened was. I, made, I get what you're saying. You want to say your thing because it's so infinitesimal. And then we'll say my thing, which is so huge. Right. I got it. And I appreciate We're you. talking about my penis. Okay, yeah, hey. Um, so I made it out to New Jersey with a phone that didn't work. Oh, no. no well, yeah, no, no, no. But it was like, I felt like a pioneer. Like, I felt like, I, like on. Like, on, he used maps and things. Nothing. Nothing worked. All I could do was oh. was make regular phone calls. So I had like I was a pioneer with a flip phone. I was like I was able, Ooh. but I made it out all the way. My brother texts me uh, like late Saturday night, and he's like, "Yo, I got free tickets to the Giants Eagles game. Do you want to come?" Oh, nice. And I was like, "Word, let's let's do it." And so as the second I step out of my Wi-Fi radius, my phone's just not doing things right. Map doesn't work. It's not playing music. All the things that you've become accustomed to your phone doing for you, nobody. I couldn't even ask people for directions because that's, do you like, I haven't had to ask somebody for directions in so long. And I just felt like a crazy person approaching somebody and asking them questions that a phone could answer. Yeah. Um, I'm actually pretty impressed with you. If I, If my phone died at any point, I don't care if I was at my mailbox. I'm going to die. Like, I live wherever I'm at at that point. I have no sense of direction. I don't know how I even got around to places before GP. Like, I literally don't know. Uh, yeah, so I'm very, I'm thoroughly impressed you got this out was, of your apartment with no phone. It was like, it was like, so it was A-line to to Grand Central, or Penn Station, rather, where they're, uh, Port Authority with the buses. And yeah. I knew that a bus got to near where the stadium was. So then I just walked around. Then I started asking people for which bus I needed to take. People looked at me like I was absolutely out of my mind. Because also that is the place that you run into people that you shouldn't be talking too long to. But Right, yeah, for sure. And so I found it, bus 190. 
and it got me to MetLife or to to right next to MetLife. Then I saw all the people walking with the Eagles Giants. Follow hey, that. I'm gonna follow those people. Follow that little line of ants, and I found myself an ant hill. Nailed it. I'm I'm thoroughly I am impressed. That's actually a big deal. <laughs> That's a much bigger deal than you made it out to be. Right. I was just like uh, every step that I was that I started going in the right direction or something would work. That would be like I felt like some beautiful mind shit. Like I was just seeing like numbers and letters that weren't actually there that I just like had made a connection. I was like, oh, my God, this bus goes to I see the stadium. This is how the pioneers used to find football stadiums was they would just see them from afar. Instead of looking up and then all of a sudden it's right there because your phone told you. Hilarious. But what's going on with you? Uh, Not too much. I am uh, headed back your way tomorrow, um, which in real time, this will happen. When you guys hear this, it will have happened. Well, you guys know it if you're watching on Twitch. It's right. literally tomorrow. But those of you listening on Thursday... I th- I'll be talking to you from the past. So whoa, I guess I sh- that's pretty much any recording of anything. That that's <laughs> why, why are you why are you trying to blow my steam right now? Yeah, man? no, no, no. Like- that's cool that you are the only one that's ever done that. Continue. Thank you. Continue. Uh, and then I have shows at the cellar all weekend. I'm actually doing their podcast. Dope. with Gnome, who's the owner of the cellar. So that's on the first, and then I have shows the second through, whatever the whole weekend. Uh, so I'll post those. If you guys are in New York, definitely come check me out. If we know each other, hit me up. Let's have dinner and I'll cop you some tickets. Uh, yeah. But the big thing that I had happen, I, had an, I was on an episode, or I'm, I am on an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. And my episode came out last night. Yeah, so that was, Frankie. Yeah. It was really cool. I, I, it took me, Charles and I just watched it late last night. Because I hate seeing myself on even print. I don't even like listening to my own audio. Um, but everyone was like, you did such a great job. And I, I watched it. I, I did a great job. Like, I That's really did nice. a good job. Do you, um, so I, do you um, when you look at it all edited up and stuff like that, is it like almost, is it almost unrecognizable because like it was such a long take and they took the different parts? Or is it like they take they take one long uh, take or like, how does that usually get edited up at Curb Your Enthusiasm? So my, my experience experience, we they you actually did the audition with me. Sure. So you knew the scene when I knew the scene. So, and you saw it, it's just an outline like, Hey, this is what your character's job is. This is like generally what happens in the scene, go and, and say some stuff. And so we just kind of, redid the scene probably like 15 20 times different ways sure and then you know when they felt like they had enough to like chop up and use they did but yeah it was completely unrecognizable because in in real life larry and i are sitting in that that room that you see me in the call center the call center sure it's only about it's only about 25 percent of that room is that call center the rest is like the, the command center and just like wires and cameras and like whatever so there are probably like 20 people in the room with us you know what i mean like everybody's masked up because this was the height of covid the only actors in the room is that the guy behind me tip tapping on the key the keyboard and larry david's actually sitting next to me like i could have reached out and like hit his foot you know what i mean oh word so he's like reading it right i guess i guess yeah, that he's right in the room yeah he's right there in the room so watching it how they inserted it into the show was really interesting. Sure. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. So it was very. It was a very cool experience. And in addition to that, I have. Um, I did a show with Anthony Anderson called House Haunters, and it's like a spin on House Hunters, where they pr- prank unsuspecting realtors or home buyers. And uh, that <laughs> that came out on Discovery Plus, and I'm in episode five. Oh yeah! Amazing. Wait, yeah. so you're, and so you, so you, how the realtors do they know at any point in time that there is a prank at after- the end? Yeah, mm. at the end, yeah. But they were they were very clueless in the beginning. It's, and here's a funny thing that I learned about that. Real people selling some some a person trying to sell something to you will let you say almost oh, yeah. anything to them if they think they have a chance at making that sale. Oh yeah. Definitely. I was saying the wildest shit to these women. And at no point were they like, you know, this woman some of her screws are a little dangly. Like, you know what I mean? I, I at what, I would when feel I like for, in, for some of them it'd almost be blood in the water that they're like, oh, this lady's clearly crazy. Let's take it. Yeah, let's of pounce, right. right? Which 100% is what they did because the whole the whole kind of joke is that I had this little uh, um, Pomeranian, a dog, in a stroller. So already you know what kind of bitch this is. Like, I've got a dog in a stroller that's not disabled in any way. Fully able-bodied dog <laughs> sure, that sure. can walk independently, no issues. And I've got it in a stroller. I'm a problem. <laughs> when I come, and my name, I, I, I made up, I got to make up my own name. My name was Anastasia. Mm-hmm. Ew. Hate her. She's the worst. And as soon as I come in, my, the first thing I say pretty much is, don't look my dog in the eye. But every <laughs> question has to go be approved and go through him. And it just like goes from there. And they, and they, they say nothing about that. And then I tell one of the realtors that my my dog is actually the reincarnation of my drag queen grandmother. <laughs> and she's just like, oh, wow. Okay, yeah, that's amazing. No, that's not amazing. That is not incredible. <laughs> I am not interesting. <laughs> I may murder us both. We have no idea which way this is going to go. Oh, it, sounds, yeah, so it's, it sounds like a lot of fun. Oh, I had a ball. I had a ball. And the fun part, one of the funny things is Anthony Anderson really is directing all the scenes. So I have an earpiece in Mm. and he's in my ear, which is weird to have such a big celebrity. Do you you know what I mean? Yeah, sure, sure. He's like, hey, Frankie, say this, say that. And then as an aside, he's talking to his mom because they do the show together, him and his mom, Doris. Uh And he's going... See, mom, do you see what Frankie's doing right here? That's a real actress. And I'm like, this is my, my only my second time acting. I'm not a real actress. Hey. It's so funny that I'm acting like a good actress. But I'm not, anyway. But yeah, it was a good experience. It was super fun. So if you have Discovery Plus, get uh, watch it. If you don't, get it. It's only 99 cents a month right now. And then you can see me in all my glory. That's our it's our sponsor is, is Discovery Plus. Discovery? Discovery Plus. Where you <laughs> can discover and then some. That'd be a that's nice not a, That's actually pretty good. Pretty ads, yeah, pretty good. I'm pretty good. Yeah. I'm pretty good at what hey, I do. Hey, Discovery Plus, if you're listening, hire us to do some marketing, sluts. Can I? That probably, that's probably didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. It's, just, it's a volume game. But can I tell a story about our guest before? Well, not. it's not actually even a story 
about him. So we've, we've gone to a lot of music festivals together and that was how we initially met. And since then he's gone on to do so many cool things. He's written books. He's doing uh, these extreme acts of athleticism to bring awareness to uh, mental health. Um, but we went to Coachella together one time. Oh man, I want to go to Coachella. We can do it. We're going to, we're going to bring nonprofits to Coachella. And give it three years. Um, no, two. Give it two years. We'll give it two years. Yeah. Um, but uh, Tof, our guest, he was he was dressed like the Adventure Time dog. Which do you know the? Shut up! I love Adventure Time. The yellow. The ye- I know the dog. Yeah, the white one, right? Uh, yellow. Uh, oh, the yellow one. Okay, yeah, the yellow, the yellow kind of wiry one. I, I. Is that a dog? Jake. Okay. Jake. Jake the dog. Right. I think Jake. But, um, I don't know his name, but I know Adventure Time because Bootsy watches it. So yellow felt costume and we're going in and Tove's getting hot. So I was like, yo, I'll hold it. And I put it in the backpack and I forgot all about that. And then I ate way too many mushrooms, just way too many. Perfect. And I, my friends want to go backstage and I'm just like, I don't think I can really deal with people right now. Um, I just really don't want to talk to people. And so I get backstage and this lady's like can you just show me your id there's alcohol back here so you just need to show your id and i was like please don't make me do that and because at this point in time like i was unable to operate backpack right like this was excellent i love growth on my back that makes me secure and i just cannot operate backpack and i was and i kept telling her i was just like look you seem nice i can't operate backpack so let's just, you know, let's just be friends about it. She's like, absolutely not. I can't. This is alcohol. Yeah. No, fuck you. Like, yeah. And I was like, please don't make me operate backpack. She's like, you need to operate backpack. And I was like, oh, man. And so I. I oh, I'll I, operate backpack. All right. Right. Okay. And I was. Well, it wasn't an anger thing. It was like, I just the 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 mechanic. Yeah. Your brain. Could, yeah. Right. Are just not there. And I was like, OK. All right. All right. Well, you asked for it, I guess. But, and so I'm like, I'm trying. 45 minutes later. It was it was probably it seemed like 45 five minutes probably about 20 seconds which is still too long to learn how to and so i open it and the yellow costume pops out it was you know pops out in my head a bear had flown out like a snake a bear i thought bear i thought bear was flying out of backpack (laughs) and so i freak out like just like i was like oh my god shit oh my god oh my god i kept asking the lady that was asking me for id i was like is that yours is that your bear? <laughs> and she's just like, she's like, it came out of your backpack. And, and I started verbally like talking myself down saying, saying, okay, bears don't go in backpacks. Bears. Can I tell you, this is one of, why? Ha- First off, I'm upset with you right now. <laughs> and I'm sure you know exactly why, don't you? Because I've never told you this story before actually more more less about me and more about why the fuck haven't you told us on stage this is hilarious <laughs> i don't know I, I i think i may have said it off the cuff a couple times because i prefer- no this is a fully fleshed out you need to just be telling this story <laughs> over and over it's hilarious your costume flies out of your backpack and you not only think it's a bear but you think it's a bear that belongs to another person that doesn't own the backpack <laughs> That's amazing. And I was like, I wasn't even like accusatory. I was like, oh my, is that the yours? The yours? <laughs> Do you know that bear? Yeah. And so she's just like, she's like, that came out of your backpack. And I was like, bears don't go in backpacks. Bears don't go in backpacks. And then, like, so then how did this bear get in my backpack? 
this where you were at. Just yeah. shifts right in front of her. And this lady is just this poor lady. I don't know what she's getting paid, but she's probably volunteering. And I'm just like, and I just like my demeanor just changed. Like bears don't, bears don't go in backpacks. And then I was pumped. And then I just started rolling up. And everybody that was in the VIP heard me have this freak out. And then just go back to like rolling up the bear in my backpack. And just and I just hung out. I just hung out. And nobody really wanted to talk to me because I just freaked out because I thought a bear had flown out of my backpack. So did you get the costume and put it back in your bag? Yeah, yeah. I rolled it up. Okay. I rolled it up nice and right. once day, once I had some clarity. That's a, this is probably the best intro story. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our new friend. Well, my new friend, Steven's old friend, Toph Evans. Toph! What up? What up? That is the best intro I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> That's a phenomenal story. Do you remember? Do you, have a, do you recall this story, Toph? No, I have no. I this is the first I've come. Well, first I've yeah, heard. Yeah, I well, I don't think I don't think now. I was holding your costume, but you were not present during that interaction that I had. Definitely was not present. No. <laughs> <laughs> so who are you, Toph? Tell me, tell me who you are. I don't know you, and you seem amazing. You have a fantastic name. So where are you from, and why are we talking to you right now? Yeah, thank you. Well, I have to say, I'm not as cool as you, Frankie, because you're on Curb Your Enthusiasm, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I guess if I were to like summate myself, um, I'm a guy that's been through his own like mental health struggles and on this like self-discovery path to figure out what's the best way to go about them. So, um Funnily enough, when I met Stephen, I don't know if I've ever told you this in person, mate, but that period in my life was a very dark time for me because mm. I was too busy trying to be other people. Mm. And it wasn't until I came across specific episodes of my life and had come across and had some help to get me through, I was unconscious to know what was going on then. So when I reflect back on it and then I hear these stories, I'm like, damn, I I was gone through some shit at Coachella too, where I'm like, probably mushrooms. I can't even remember, but <laughs> there's a whole bunch of stories that would have been a bit of a blur. So, um, yeah, I, it, it's such a hard question. Who are you, or what? What do you do? <laughs> I was like, if, he's like, if he stuck the landing on who am I? I was like, damn, that's that's always a heavy one when when somebody asks. Um, Never stick the landing. No. Oh well, t- who? Frankie, who would you say you are? Like, if you got oh wow, like a right? I have I don't what no fuck. Why would you? I'm sitting over here going. <laughs> I hope this question doesn't volley over to me because <laughs> I don't. I th- I thought that I've. I, here's what I do now. This is what I'll say. I know that I am not my full self as of yet. Sure, that's what I know for sure. Um, I know that I could be. I know that I have greatness inside of me. Uh, at the same time, I know that I have allowed myself to hinder my greatness. And a lot of that stems from the fact that I am, a, a, I am, and this is very vulnerable for me to say, and I don't know why I'm sharing it with you idiots, but I'm going to. Um, I feel very vulnerable in, in the fact that I am afraid of who and what I am. Sure. Uh, and so in the fear of realizing the totality of me and then possibly losing that, have I've allowed myself to kind of stuff myself down and just be this mediocre version of myself. 
Yeah, and it's definitely something is that, that um, is that too much of an answer. No, no, no. It's something I talk about with my therapist all the time. Is that I, uh, I am very quick to get in my own way, and when mm-hmm. big opportunities are coming, and when shit is looking like you know, go this extra twenty percent, and you you could get to some great shit. That's when all sorts of uh, subconscious of like. Yo, you should go out and drink with people. You should go, like, you know, like... Yeah, you should not do anything productive. Right. You should do yeah. all the things that you know consciously are uh, are a hindrance and do get in the way. Uh, I do them all. I indulge in every single one of them. And I try to get better about it, but I do know that that is something that I've articulated as well, is that mm-hmm. I'm very scared of what... Uh, I, it, and it sounds cocky, but it, I'm scared of what the what could it eventually be. Um, and I do believe that it could be great, but then it's a lot of responsibilities. Like, what if you do get it? Then what? Uh, right. It, but also, too, you have to look at, I don't know your background, Tove, but I know Stephen and I have a significant amount of trauma in our past. You know what I mean? So you have to factor that in too. And a a more accurate answer to who I am is, yes, I know who I am. uh, And no, I am not being that person. That's probably actually a better, a more realistic and accurate answer. But again, you have to factor, we have to factor in the trauma that we've, we've been through. And even though, you know, like I've been in, in and out of therapy for really my whole life since I was a kid. Um, I've been in therapy in some form or another. And, um, when do you resolve that your past? When do you really resolve that trauma? Do you, do you get what I mean? Like, especially to the degree that we've experienced it, right? Well, Tove, so you've done a lot, everything from, you know, speaking engagements to you're, you're rubbing elbows with a lot of people that are um, in that space as well. Can you speak to that? Like, you know, I I I assume that the answer is that it's always an ongoing uh process but have you explored that much on kind of what the timeline of working through trauma looks like or is there is it an incessant process Yeah I'm going to say it's incessant and I'm going to give some context to this so I went down, I think I mentioned I had a bit of an episode and they, these would continue going on, like panic attacks. And it was a lot of childhood trauma. I believe we all have childhood trauma. Like even my mom leaving me in the shopping mall, hypothetically at the age of three and I can't find her would relate into some sort of abandonment later on. Mm. Like that can show up. But after I went through my stuff, I resorted to running and I was never a runner at school. I had injuries, whatever, but I was never a sporty kid, especially in high school. And to use running to, I guess, give myself a bit of discipline, but to give back was how I started finding myself in one way. And then that's how it evolved into talking about resilience and speaking. But here's the ironic thing. After doing a lot of therapy on this, the running had resorted into validation. I wanted to be seen. Mm. That was the sad thing. And I could not accept myself. And I was doing all these speaking engagements on resilience and there is shame around this. Well, I feel like there was shame around this that I, kind of what you said, Frankie, like I feel like I 
wasn't at the person I needed to be when I'm doing these speaking engagements. Like I felt like a bit of a fraud, mm. like the imposter mm-hmm. syndrome was really fucking high because as soon as we deem ourselves as experts in a specific field, there is this notion that we have to know everything in it. Mm. And right. over the years, I've gone to men's groups and still go to therapy. I still struggle with depression, probably more anxiety than depression. And it is this ongoing thing because of specific traumas or shadows, as they call them, men's work. They're the, the things that are hidden behind us, men or women, but they're the things that deny or repress us because of the stories that we can tell ourselves. Mm. So I, a common story I tell myself is I'm unlovable. And that comes down from- Oh my God, same. Totally. Because I'm too busy trying to get dad's love. So I will find oh. people that model that behavior. And I, I love my dad to bits. And it wasn't until I did this work that when I, when I see dad now, I see a best friend in my dad. But at the time, I'm like, fuck you, motherfucker. How dare you do this to me every time? So when I see people who would essentially model similar behavior, I am people pleasing. So I don't have any boundaries in place. Like what the fuck are boundaries? Mm. And that's how it came to when I was doing running and these speaking engagements. This is like very ironic in itself where I would do this, set myself up for failure and then put myself through some sort of self-sabotage by beating myself up, which would lead into procrastination. It could lead into self-harm, which is subjective because self-harm looks different in every different way. Mm. And I look at it now and just pondering on your question, I would say it's incessant. Like I know men in these 50s, 60s that have been doing this work for a lot of time where they're still doing their work because they've touched on their shadow on what the thing that they tell themselves, but they haven't touched all of it. And it comes out in different ways in different parts of our lives because of different, I don't know, different relationships we get into or things that we're having a good run. And then before we know it, we're in the ditch again. And, but there, yeah. Mm. What does it look like? Um, It's, it's kind of an interesting concept. And I know it sounds silly that I hadn't really thought of, but, how does that conversation around mental health and self-care look different in a group full of men? Um, like, is there, is there, uh, I have had some, I had had conversations with men that those conversations are more difficult to have than when with my female friends. Um, what does that look like? Is there, is there like a process of, leaving leaving uh masculinity not masculinity but like toxic masculinity at the door yeah right it's it's such a good question man and i think there's toxic humanity because like misogyny can be like misogyny is like repressed femininity and there are women out there think of like the women who can be high up in a corporate role they would have some level of misogyny because they're like they're going through like heavy power they can be i'm not putting blame on anyone um, so I don't think there's toxic masculinity. I think the like the sad things, a lot of guys have caused a lot of the harm because of patriarchy and that. But how it works in a men's circle or a men's group, there needs to be this container needs to have needs to be a safe space. So it needs to like the work we do is sacred, not secret. Like if I were to go, oh old mate, like if I were to say his name and the work he's done, that's gossip. However, if I say what I got from it, like I saw a man do work on his mom or his partner, his dad, whoever, 
and it, I resonated with it, that's different. And then that, that relates to connection. But it's, it was f- unfathomable for me at first because I couldn't trust men because of upbringing. I couldn't. Mm. So I was, I'm always still more uh, comfortable around women. And that mm. could be because of my mom. My mom was like heavy, heavily nurturing, but being bullied at school, specific people in my life that I just couldn't be near around. So when I came across this men's group because of oh shit moments in my life, it wasn't until I'm like, oh, men are actually safe, which is crazy because a lot of women have those, have those epiphanies instead. But when really a lot of men in this world are little boys in men's bodies. <laughs> sure. Yeah. That's so interesting what you just said, Toph. I And you just gave me a revelation um, that I've never, weirdly, I'm usually pretty intuitive about my own shit and can kind of like, look at it objectively enough and say, okay, not that I implement the corrective action because no, but I can look at it objectively enough and go, okay, I can connect that dot. This is why I do that thing. And I'm always, I am very uncomfortable around women, very, because of my relationship with um, my mother, you know, who was just horrible. And uh, I never really made that connection. And I I did an event three years ago now, the Black Women in Comedy Festival. And I remember, and the whole concept was it, it was, it was going to be 50 Black women in comedy all kind of converging together in New York to do this weekend-long festival. And I remember having so much anxiety about going because I didn't know, I didn't trust women. I was like, I don't, especially Black women. I was like, I don't know what this is going to be. I, you know, I'm going to be ostracized. You know, they're going to be abused. You know, I felt all, thought all of these negative things and it was the, it was the opposite. And I never made that connection until just now. So thank you. No, that's okay. Because that's how it was modeled to you. So yeah. therefore, it, that would show up in every aspect of life, really. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I feel much safer around men, emotionally, like just all the way around where a lot of women feel very uncomfortable and unsafe around men. I have the, very much the opposite inclination. Hmm. I I guess like that as you say that aloud, I'm like, okay, yeah, I guess I, I guess I have seen that. Right. Think of how many girls like you see me hang out with almost zero. Like I have girls that I'm cool with, but like the people I really hang out with, it's all dudes. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, so could you tell us a little bit, tell us a little bit about, um, the running that you were doing? Cause it's so, okay. So let me back up one second. You were talking about that, being part of your identity right and so we actually had a podcast a little while ago um and it was all on like allyship right and kind of um where different people can be a value add to societal uh, racial justice right and it was something that kind of came up in that conversation that i understood how much of my identity i tied to helping group xyz Right. And there was, uh, you know, I was kind of asked about it in, in the podcast and it was kind of a revelation at that point in time, but it was this thing of having, having a lot of people die early in life and having to take care of people's funerals all the time. There became this thing of my social crutch or my crutch, whenever bad things happened was I went and helped people. Kind of realized that in like 2017, that sent me for a tailspin for about a year. And then 
<clears throat> it was this thing uh, to get real reintroduced to the idea that so much of my identity I was tying to the people that I was helping and just kind of like whether I said it as such, it was kind of this thing of like, okay, I how how great am I, right? Like how great am I doing all this, doing all this helping? Um so two things. When doing all the running, and, and it sounds like you kind of had a similar revelation with running and and dig more into it. Um, but also when running was the tool that was helping you kind of dig your way out of um, dark places that you were in, was it, was it more the, you know, the uh, biological improvements to uh, your brain function or was it something that putting this level of dedication into something or putting this level of structure to your life was a foundation that was able to help you climb out of that place. I know that was a very long winded. Did that make sense? Yeah, no, it made sense. The first one I, I, um, I relate to that. My ego just got in the way. My, uh, my head was just so big because of literally going from a kid that all he could think about is, just being not in this world anymore to somehow being seen putting on this pedestal. I like grabbed that. And unfortunately I burnt bridges. That was the sad thing. Mm. Um, and there was so much lesson in that. Like I'm, I'm a lot more chilled and a little bit more laid back these days than that person because I know I'm enough now. But back then I didn't think I was enough. Sure. And that's when the running became something for me as a, to build habit, to build discipline, like just training for a marathon is, is some pretty hard work, especially the first one, like four months of training, just constantly being on the feet, some, doing something for myself for once when I'm always trying to do something for someone else because my rescue is kicking in. I just want to please other people. And then I, it's like this drama triangle. There's the victim, poor me, which goes into um, a rescuer. So if someone else is going to, I'm going to save them. And if they don't want to take that, I'm going to persecute them. And just going through that cycle. And that was mm. me all the time. So I've learned that through the therapy. The, the running. So to give some context, like I'd run a marathon and a friend of mine, he decided to come on board with this project. We were running a lot. And then we decided to give back to charity. And in the space of, I think in 2016, we did 40 <laughs> events. So we oh, did shit. marathons. And then we got really creative, like being on a treadmill for 24 hours Shut um, up. 100 miles in a forest, like real fucked up stuff. Like to the point, like I'm hallucinating in races. Like that's a real thing. Oh, the body's so deprived of all this. And what does, what does a hallucination look like when you're running? Right. So I've, I've had, I think, three. One was I did a race in Scotland and I'm like 28 hours into this race. And it was a, it was like a hundred hour race. And I saw... I'm in this random forest and these giant sunflowers, but I thought they were the giant Venus flytraps from Mario, like oh, Super Mario <laughs> that you bounce on top of. And it scared me, man. Cause like, did I, you I try to really... bounce on top of one of them? No. Um, <laughs> okay. No, all right. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, this thing's going to eat me. Um, 
Damn, that well, when the other we two. Des- yeah, when we when we decided to do this all for charity, I'm trying to one up everything because it's still not enough. Everything I'm doing is not enough. And that played a massive part of my life for probably what 27, 28 years. Sure. Still part of it today, I'm still working on it. Like I haven't completely nailed it. Where everything I needed to do was for charity because I felt obligated because that's what it is to be a good person. I know I'm a good person mm. now. If I don't do that, and then what your second part of the question, Stephen, I had built this foundation in my body. Like it was hard as it was hard as nails, man. Like if I needed to clear my mind, I'll go for a run. Sad yeah. thing is I can't run as much these days because of injury. And I'm kind of like traumatized from running because <laughs> I've yeah. done so much. Yeah, you think? You just said I was on hour 28. Yeah. What? Yeah, my, yeah. Uh, my brother runs uh, like Ironman type races. And I think that this year was when he finally just hit. He never wants to do it again. Like he was just, he, he did a couple this year. And I think he just hit a mark where he was like, this sucks. Like I just, I don't like doing this anymore. Yeah. And this will tie into identity as well. So what's the next big race? What's the next big race? And I had built a foundation. This is great. Um, decided to do an event. It was a registered event and it was to run from one side of Scotland to the other side of Scotland. So literally cross country. The term cross country the term, so it was a, what was how it? How far think, is that? Do you know how far that is in miles? Yeah, it was... 345 mile I think it was fuck so, off so that'd be like running from here to New York got it no thanks yeah. that's it I didn't finish it here's the sad thing so I got to about two no it was 214 miles so 345 kilometers two, yeah 214 mile 345 kilometers I got to 180 kilometers and my body just shut down kidneys failing can't no. walk anymore taste metallic so that's definitely kidney failure like it took a couple of days to recoup in there. I'm going through an identity crisis because I don't want to run ever again. And then what are people going to know me for? It's like, as if comedy was yeah. stripped away from the both of you. Sure. Because sure. Don't even oh. joke about that. So <laughs> I know. So that's what I'm saying. No, I'm not even being funny right now. Like don't, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's it's scary. So Terrifying. I, was fine for maybe two weeks because the adrenaline was still there. I was still doing this event and it had worn off. I'm back home and it hit me. Like, why is so much of me tied into identity that I'm going through another mental health episode that unfortunately I had started resorting to cutting. That's And I'm just going to keep it real. Like I resorted to self-harm because the physical pain was less intense than the emotional pain mm. i had built something up it had been stripped away from me it's like when mm. athletes or olympians go do their stint for their life and then they don't need to be an olympian anymore they retire and they're like now what so i had lost myself as a person because unfortunately i had tied my identity to it and then that's how i came across this men's work because a friend of mine said go to this you need to go and then next thing i'm on they're processing emotional trauma from childhood because I had no idea that I was doing a lot of things to be seen because I may have not been seen as a kid. I may have not been heard as a kid. I'm not, I may have not been um, acknowledged as much as I thought I would have been. So my, my, my needs, my basic needs were not met. So unfortunately, 
bridges were burnt. I put my body through insane stress. Tells a cool story, all to figure this out. So that's why I'm like, my self-care routine is much more kinder (coughs) to myself. So I know I don't need to do that. So I know my needs are met today. Question for you, Topher. How do you, Tof, sorry. How do you separate when you begin on a course of something, be it a career or a hobby or whatever the thing is, how do you keep your identity separate from that thing? I'm still figuring that one out, Frankie. It's more like I'm yeah. a spiritual being going through a human experience <laughs> and I just somehow, oh, for sure. I for somehow sure. do podcasting on the side. I just somehow, uh, and this involved with men's work. I'm, I'm somehow like, it's like, these are bonuses. And a friend of mine, she explained this to me, this Buddhist principle. If we grabbed a container and then there's all these dots in there, every one of those dots represent a specific part of us. So if I use an example of I'm a son, but if my parents were to unfortunately pass away tomorrow, hypothetically, that wouldn't happen. I'm no longer a son. And there's a level of detachment that I need to have so that I am not holding on to that, that that's the be all end all. It's yeah, it's a detachment. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's almost like I'm saying I'm tough, I'm this, and then I somehow do this, but I'm still trying to figure that, that one out, Frankie. Yeah. yeah I had um, early, ed, early age, right? So I had 23 friends die by the time I was 22. And I, a huge part of um, huge part of my identity was being part of that group, right? And then a huge part of my identity was I'm the person that is is supporting and helping everybody emotionally in that group, right? And at a point, I had to change my phone number because I was getting so many calls. Uh, people were committing, like you know, talking having to talk people down off a ledge of suicide and all this sort of stuff. And so there was this thing that I had to sever myself off from a huge portion of who I was and who my relationships were and where I was from and all this sort of stuff. And um, it is something that a mindset that I developed early was that you just need as many sources of happiness as possible. Because if you have... If you have just one source and whether that, you know, replace happiness with identity, but if you only have that one source of identity, if you only have that one source of happiness, then you're, you're on shaky ground, right? And it, and that one source can always be taken away. And it is this thing of, um, the thing that I am constantly, constantly trying to work on is the, that self-love joint, you know, like. If your identity and if your happiness is all invested in other things that are not you, right? Then these. But what is you though? Aren't you the totality of all of your experiencing? I don't think so. I I think that you are. That informs the person that you will be, right? But it's not who you. Are, right like like well not our essence that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about just what you said like all of those experiences makes up what you're going to do and who you're going to be and how you're going to decide things right well i think that that's that is something that i used to say and verbalize in my head a lot but i think that that takes away a certain level of 
um, I'm, I'm losing the word, but a certain level of, uh, God damn it. I'm losing the word, but you, you are in less control, right? If autonomy, autonomy, I fuck. It's not, I'll think of the word in a second, but, um, if, if you subscribe to the thought that you are the totality of all the events that have happened to you, then in that line of logic, it means that you are kind of powerless to who you become. And it's, and it's all about what has happened to you, where I think that this informs who you are and it is a huge part. Right. And, and hopefully you can glean the good out of it. Right. Like hopefully empathy comes because you've seen a lot of hardship or hopefully, um, levels of open-mindedness and and stuff like that. But, you know, a lot of it is your own ability to deal with shit. And sometimes that is, takes so many tools and a big old tool belt of shit to be able to deal with, right? And it's what a lot of this self-help and betterment type shit is about is just kind of like, okay, word, that's a tool that I could use to better myself. That's one that I, you know, is easy to do, hard to do, and trying to improve yourself with all these little tools in the toolkit. But I think for a very long time, I subscribe to the thought that you are the totality of the events that have happened to you. But I err more on the side of being uh kind of developing out this toolkit of of you know whether it's meditation works best whether it's exercise works best because like you know like simple shit right like i know i am a better person if i've run in the morning just like that's just kind of a one-to-one function box that i'm just like but but even that that's not real though you're a good person just because of who you are in spirit right i can't because if I'm tying the my quality and my goodness to activities, mm. what if I can't do that activity? Sure. Well, Does that make me less good? No, no, no. Absolutely not. But I, I'll say there are a lot of people that experience the same exact thing that I experienced back home. Right. I was fortunate that I was able to navigate out. And a lot of that was being able to put myself in positions that, you know, whether I isolated myself from a lot of it or whether I was able to find friends, find like these, these different things, it doesn't necessarily have to be running, right? Like there are all sorts of different things in the toolkit that work for different people and they work at different levels for different people. But I'm just, so you're talking about coping mechanisms is what, is that what you're talking about? Not, I mean, that's amongst many, many things that it's almost like a you. cup filler, right? It's like, what do you do to fill your cup up? And it doesn't have to be running or whatever, but what, yeah. And like, I would love to know, obviously you said running's one thing, but what are the things that you fill your own cup up before you can fill anyone else's cup up? And that's yeah. something that is very new to me. Um, yeah. I'm, you know, whatever it is, a couple months into therapy and that has been a big portion of what the talk has been about because it has been something that has always been... Even if I'm doing something for myself, it is because these people might see it and think better of me. Or if I'm doing something for myself, like I caught that was actually like really big for the pandemic was I just remember doing yoga, doing a stance incorrect 
And my immediate thought being who saw me do that pose incorrectly is like, dog, you're in your apartment by yourself. You need to get that part of your brain fucking like, you know, worked on, right? Because it was just this thing of uh, always, always thinking of my actions in the lens of who, how are people interpreting it? Um, I used to always say when I was really young, I was like, what would you think of you from a third person's point of view if you were looking at yourself? Right. And how do you do that in comedy? Because you're always on stage. How does that play out? Um, I think that I think that that's it's also a corner with writing, right? I mean, Frankie, what are your thoughts on that? But like the with writing, I've I I I was ahead of what I was ahead of this timeline, but there was a certain point where I was writing for probably the three, four years of how will an audience interpret this and how will they find this funny where there was a corner probably four years in that I was just like, actually, fuck them. <laughs> actually, just, you know, fuck them. I'm just going to say what I find funny. And then that becomes, you know, that's more fun. That's more enjoyable that uh, you enjoy the writing process of it instead of being like, how will others perceive this? Yeah, I, I work from a very different standpoint, which is probably not healthy, but I always just assume everyone hates me. And so and I'm not I'm not being funny. Yeah, yeah. I'm being serious. And so I always tell myself who gives a shit what anyone thinks, just do it the way that you like it. And including with comedy. Mm. Um <clears throat> because I have a very uh I guess you could say sick interpretation of how I think I am perceived by people. But then it gets validated. Like I was talking to another comic in New York. <laughs> Uh, not too long ago, and he says to me, um, you haven't made it until people talk shit about you. Sure. And I said, wow, I guess I'm the next Chappelle. <laughs> and he goes, oh, yeah, I've heard the shit people talk about you. And he was, the, yeah, he was, <laughs> right. <laughs> and in that moment, I was like, oof, you know, in my brain, I thought it was just like my sick brain telling me you know people are talking shit about you and i'm like but fast forward to reality you know it's comedy people do talk shit about you yeah and i and i just can't i can't care about it because when i care about it i become way too emotionally invested and i find myself spiraling down into this hole of um isolation and so i've just gotten to a point uh where i not that I don't care about people's feelings. I care very much about people's feelings, maybe too much, because I want everyone to, to be peace and, and feel good. Um, but in terms of what they think about me personally, yeah. I, there are certain things that I know about myself. Like I know I, where I'm irritating. I know where I'm fun. I know that I'm a lot to deal with. I know certain things about myself and my personality. And some of those things are just who I am. They're just baked in that way. And... I'm just going to be that person. And so I just, I have come to the, the the realization, just be around people, not people that just um, coddle you and say, oh, you're a pretty bear. You know, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're the prettiest princess in the, you know, you're perfect just so the way you that's are. That's how we interact when we're next to each other. We do. <laughs> be, oh, you're the prettiest little teddy bear. I'd be petting, her, I'd be petting her this whole podcast. hundred <laughs> percent. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I do. And I think we do this with each other and that's check each other's behavior, you know, when it's, when we deem it necessary. But so I, I like that, but I, I don't have time to worry about 
someone thinking I'm annoying or whatever. You know, those little small societal things that we tend yeah. to maybe over obsess about. I'd love that to be back on that. Like, yeah, please. there's a saying that it's what people say about me is none of my business. And when I um, keep that in mind, yeah. it's like, I don't care what they say about me because it's their, it's their shit half the time. If it's a yeah. projection, that's their work. And that there's, there's no need for me to rescue that because I only have to rescue myself. And that was, I don't, you both go to therapy. Um, has the epiphany come into place that I am the only person that can rescue myself. I'm the only person that can mm. turn the switch on. I, they can guide me, but it's not until I have to pull myself out of the hole. And when I do that, it's like, okay, I am worthy of doing this. I am worthy of living. I am worthy of love. I'm worthy of moving forward. I'm, I'm, you said something before, Stephen. I'm like, that sound, you mentioned something, and it, was, it sounded like the fear of success in a way. Mm. Like, it's like, I'm scared to be that person, that fear of uncertainty. I only say that because I, I go through that. It's actually quite present in me today. There's this, mm-hmm. um, and it's probably tied in with imposter syndrome. It's probably tied in with a few other things. But um, when I don't care about anyone else's opinion, that almost is like a feeling that I've made it to where I want to be because I'm sure. like, oh, there we it go. is I'm very some much that feeling. Shit going on, yeah. Yeah, it is very much that feeling. Tove, can we have you back on on another show? It's, yeah. it's crazy, but our time is up. But seriously, I need to talk to you like eight more times. <laughs> I need to listen. I need to hear stories about all of your banana crazy projects. You are an animal. Like you're not even human. That's so amazing. <laughs> I'm human. I'm definitely human. Well, no, no, no. Wow. Well, I just dehumanized you literally in my sentence, but that's yeah. not what I meant. What I mean is like, you can go like a machine. Like I can't imagine mo- physically moving for 28 hours like i my brain can't even process that well so. i i also um tove one of the things that chatting with you uh kind of put a little bit to rest of a conversation that you know frankie and i have had is we are having conversations about mental health and we are going through it <laughs> you know and like and it just it right feels, simultaneously right yeah. and it feels disingenuous and it's hard to be like well, here are the five easy steps to being your best self, right? And, and I, f- I feel the opposite, though. I feel more genuine being in the shit. For sure. And still healing and talking to people kind of from that perspective. Like, I'm a fucking hot mess. I, and I know Frankie on that, 90, yeah. Yeah. yeah, like 90% of you in the audience are probably a fucking hot mess. And none of us are saying it. You know what I mean? So I, I don't think you have to be healed to be a healer. You know what I mean? Ooh, I don't I like think that. that you have to be, yeah. You know, I, I love like alliteration and, 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 you know, parallels. <laughs> um, but before we go, Tove, can you tell people how they can find you? Um, what projects you have coming up, how we can follow and how they can slide into your DMs? Like what's going on with you? Yeah, sure. <laughs> absolutely. So I, um, anyone probably can find me on Instagram. That's probably where the best place to find me or even LinkedIn. So it's usually tof, T-O-F-E dot Evans, E-V-A-N-S. Um, I, on the side, I actually do a lot of podcast editing. So this is awesome stuff. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to go with, hey, I'm Tof, a podcast editor, because if that goes away. <laughs> 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 but it's, um, it's, yeah, it's something that I do. So I, it was a side hustle that I've just turned full time and it's, um, it's it's been a fun that. it's been a fun but it's also been a roller coaster as well, and 
I just want to say this as well. Um, based on what you said before, Stephen, like all going through it. Yeah. Like the stats in, I don't know about in America, but in Australia, it's intense. Like yeah, between the one in five people aged between 16 to 85 will go through some sort of mental illness in their life at least once. That is scary. So 20% of pretty much our entire population. And that just shows like no one, like mental health doesn't discriminate. That's the thing. It does not discriminate. And I'll be honest as well. Like three weeks ago, I was in a pretty big dark hole and there was a lot of shame that I had to process. Like I don't think I've cried that much in my life. And asking for help is one thing. Receiving help is the other thing. Because the story I was telling myself is I'm an undeserving of, of receiving this. And mm. I had to move past that. That's, that's a big piece. So a lot of people, when they're like, why aren't a lot more people asking for help? Guys in particular, because it's a sign of weakness, whatever. Sure. Asking for help's one thing, but receiving it is the other thing as well. Mm. And that could be actually a massive reason why a lot of guys or just people in general who are going through a shit time that know they are, but they're like, I don't feel deserving of this. That's also a story that they could be telling themselves to speak yeah. more of my own experience. Yeah, definitely. It was, uh, sure. we were talking to a mental health coalition about uh, something, but they, uh, the numbers for suicide right now in the US is, are crazy. And it's four in five uh, suicides are men, um, which yeah. uh, was an interesting, like, I mean, it's, a topic for another day, but it is something that, um, you know, we are here. If you ever want to hit us up, we'd love to have a conversation with you, Toe. Oh, my God. Uh, Anytime. You are welcome. Really quick before we go, for our listeners, if you are feeling some kind of way or you need help and you don't have anyone in the immediate area that you can reach out to, this is the number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And it might sound silly. It might sound like, well, what can they really do for me? And I can speak from personal experience being in that dark place. Sometimes just having a person listen to the words come out of your mouth can make a huge impact. So before you do something permanent to something that's temporary, um, just give this number a dial and and give it a chance to to help you save your life. That number is 800-273-8255. Again, 800-273-8255. Two five five, and share that with someone else too, please. Um. All right. I love you, Tove. It was so nice catching up. Um, so fantastic to meet you, Tove. And we'll yeah, have you, you on guys. again soon. Um. This has been the Nonprofits. I am Frankie French. I have been Stephen Campbell this whole time. Love you guys. Like, share, subscribe, do all that shit. And we'll be back next week. Stephen's off. All right. There we go.